Welcome to this week's energy show. Now, residential and commercial systems. Uh, now, residents start again. All right. Welcome to this week's energy show. Residential and commercial rooftop solar systems are installed on fixed roof mounts. The panels are tilted at the angle of the roof, and building codes make it difficult to tilt panels at the optimal angle. Now, thirty percent degrees facing south is kind of ideal. If you have a different tilt angle, you know, flat even generally only lose about 11% efficiency. But for large-scale solar installations, solar farms for utilities, for example, this 11% is really important. So large systems are installed ideally at the latitude tilt and the site conditions so that you get that extra 11% efficiency. But going one step further, systems can also track the sun, and that'll add an additional 10 to 25% efficiency or more since the solar panels are pointed more directly at the sun. Single-axis trackers generally tilt east-west, and dual-axis trackers can tilt east-west daily and then even go north to south a little bit seasonally. So for big systems, these big solar farms, trackers have become the standard feature. The added complexity of moving parts is worth the big increase in energy output. Now, one of the leading tracker companies is NextTracker. I think most recently they're number one globally. They provide tracking systems and engineering for large utility-scale projects all over the world. So it's my pleasure to have Alex Ow, Next Tracker's Chief Technology Officer and co-founder, as our guest on today's show. Alex was one of the pioneers in the solar industry. He developed Next Tracker's core technology, and Alex and I go back almost 18 years. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I, I've been thinking about this all week and got a haircut and manicure for this. So. Oh, yeah, it's very important. Yeah, well, when we do this on TV, you know, that, stuff will, that's, that stuff will be good. All right, well, you know, in, in the way of background, just give us a little bit of an introduction about Next Tracker, your products, your customers, where you're located. Our headquarter office is located in Fremont, California. We have a global presence. We have, prior to this year, actually, we were tracking almost 50-50 split between international and U.S. markets. And that that was really exciting because we get a good gauge of what natural markets look like without subsidies and stuff like that. And so the biggest thing that that's really taught us is that the fundamental economics on trackers and solar panels are there. And so with that alone, it's really shown a huge boom in the industry. So that's a huge testament to how far we've gone as this space in involving, you know, cost reduction and optimization. So is it still 50-50? Do you see more growth globally or domestically or just everything is going crazy? This year has just gone crazy within the United States because of Safe Harbor. And okay. so it's, uh, it's really accelerated some of the, the growth. Um, it's locked in us for projects that we have now for the next couple of years because it's only a portion of what we get assigned for, at least on the contract right now. But those projects will follow through and we'll, our customers will purchase the balance of the projects at that time. So the safe harbor means that you can still get the 30% tax credit even though construction is completed several years from now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so has the tax credit expiring in a couple of years really had much of an impact on the, the pull-in of sales growth? It's again, it's like the safe harbor. Yes, it has absolutely supported that. But the fundamental economics is really what's driving everything yeah. right now. For us on the, the residential and the small commercial side, just that decline in 4% is driving everybody crazy. And then, you know, pg and starts doing their uh, power shutoffs and now everybody wants batteries. We can talk more about that more. But yeah, the tax credit has a big impact. But when it goes away, I mean, the economics are still going to be really strong, especially since rates keep going up. So the tracker business is competitive. What makes Next Tracker unique? It's a good question to ask because, I mean, you, you only start to realize things like that when somebody comes and is very specific about that because, you know, we have our heads down. We're constantly working on stuff, and, and it's just a big iteration for us, right? But I think the number one thing that's really differentiated in X-Tracker is we decided to build our own power electronics. And so each tracker row is independently driven. 
prior to Next Tracker, majority of the market was gang linked row systems. You usually had something like a large motor that drove, let's call it 400 kilowatts worth of tracker rows, and they were all linked together like a Venetian blind. We came about it a little bit differently. We said we want to drive each row independently. And the first thing that we did was we actually tried to figure out the most efficient way to move the tracker. Typically, what's happened is that you have a tracker, you put the glass on top of it, and it rotates around the tube, the torque tube. And what that means is that anytime you're off zero, when you go to the east or the west or flat, you get this heavy weight of the glass and the metal and everything wanted to pull over 6,000 pounds approximately for, you know, 80 module row. And that creates a very uneven load on the motor. And so what Next Tracker did was we paired the center of mass with the center of rotation. And it gave us a very unique electrical profile that allowed us to use much smaller motors, literally magnitude smaller motors, and which allowed us to have really small power electronics, a really small battery pack for UPS, and also allowed us to customize all the power electronics. So the thing that we released actually last year was a software program called True Capture. It's a software optimization and allows us to do two things with the tracker. One, be able to understand when the diffuse light conditions are occurring. So, you know, a lot of cloud coverage comes on and irradiance goes from, let's call it 1,000 watts per meter squared to two to 300 watts per meter squared. And it actually doesn't make sense to track directly on sun because the light's being scattered or bounced around the cloud. So a different position closer to flat is actually ideal. That's one aspect of... Uh, well, how do you measure that? Are you measuring that at each array? Yeah. Every single row, we have a smart panel there, and we can identify by current voltage, is it on track of what it's supposed to be on you know, a full radiance day versus something that's a little bit more diffuse? All right. So coming back to something else you mentioned about the axis of rotation, Next Tracker developed that. Whose idea was that? I like to say that there's not really new ideas out there. It's just how we execute on it. And there's a lot of things that we pulled from different industries. Really proud to say that we executed on it, I think, better than other people may have done before. We were the first to do it with the continuous torque tube and the off-axis. So Mm -hmm. that was something that was developed, I think, you know, right right as I joined actually Solari at the time before it spun out to Mm -hmm. Tracker. Yeah, that makes a big difference. I didn't really realize how it would impact the torque that the motor has to deliver. It's actually several magnitudes less power required because you lose a lot of power in the drivetrain and linking everything together, all the mechanical losses. Okay. All right. So in terms of Next Tracker's technology, there's some technological advantages there, and that's really going to differentiate. But what about the corporate structure? What about your parent company? Flex is added a huge aspect of trust and kind of longevity. And so when the utility companies are looking for partners, they want to see somebody they can trust to be around for a long time. And so the fact that when we built our controller, Flex was actually the one who was making it. That's actually that how that relationship first started. And they said, wow, these guys are really growing. Look at the volume that's coming through. And that's actually what initiate a lot of the conversations about the acquisition. So being able to have a conversation with the utility, say that we have a parent company behind us, really differentiates us from the mom and pops and some of the guys who are less capitalized. Right. And so in, in a word, it's bankability, and people are always worried about the bankability of the modules, and you guys have the bankability of the trackers. And you know, it's arguably, it might be harder to replace trackers than modules. That's correct, yeah. So a big, big, big advantage there. Any other technological advantages or distinctions there? What the controller that I was just talking about really allowed us to do is like on the true capture side, I just mentioned the diffuse light. We also do row to row. And what we're finding is that sites are no longer flat anymore. There's a lot of undulation. And so what the same smart module can also do for us is identify what angle, what time of the day, where it's located in the world. And it says, I'm at this angle and I'm getting shading. And that comes back to us at next 
next tracker, and we actually have more computer scientists than structural mechanical engineers now. So they look at the data points, they create a software around it and say, we create a digital topography map of the entire site and actually recommission every single one of the controllers with a custom tracking algorithm so that there's no shading. And we've seen 2 to 6% additional yield in the production. And that's a real milestone for us because the last time any software optimization took place in the tracker space was over 20 years ago with backtracking. Hmm. So to be able to come out and differentiate that has actually also driven a lot of the sales with regards to safe harbor and whatnot. So, you know, being able to individually optimize each row for shading performance has really captured a lot. Now, why bother tracking the sun at all? How much efficiency gain do you get? And what about using a dual axis tracker? Dual axis tracker, yes, will have more efficiency gain from the projection standpoint, but the cost advantages aren't there. So the same, you know, let's call it a slew gear. This, the driving mechanism, the slew gear, may run 12, 12 to 20 modules, whereas the same hardware would run 90 modules on our tracker system. So the cost breakdown and, and the efficiency of a single axis east-west only, it seems to, it, or uh, pencils out much better. So what would be the advantage from going from fixed to a single-axis tracker east-west? You get the broader shoulders. Okay. So you get more production in, in the morning times and the afternoon. Okay, good. There's The module technology has been evolving. We go from crystalline to monocrystalline, and now I'm reading about some of these back contact cells and then even semi-transparent cells. How is that affecting your tracker installations? We actually have optimization through the software that takes advantage of bifacial cells and split cells now. So we had a 72-cell module. Now they're split cells, and it's 144. And so the way they set up the bypass diodes is actually top and bottom halves. And so it actually is a little bit more robust for shading. But also when we're thinking about bifacials, it's really critical to have the right racking system so that you're not shading the backside. And we've spent a lot of time at Next Tracker optimizing so that the modules are sitting off at the right height of the panel rail, that the light and the albedo effect that's reflecting off of the ground doesn't get shaded by any rails. Bearing housing assembly doesn't sit underneath the modules, it's between the modules. And we've seen, you know, upwards of even north of 1% compared to other racking systems. We actually have a center of solar excellence in the Fremont office where we're testing multiple rows and we've partnered with module manufacturers to confirm this. Okay, so we're talking about tracker technology and module technology, but let's talk about energy storage technology. That technology seems to be on fire or preventing fires, as the case may be. Why should we incorporate storage in trackers? We actually started about three years ago with an RFP called Decapitate the Duck. We were extremely frustrated with what... What is, te- what is the duck? Is that the that duck. scene at the end of that movie, A Christmas Story, where they decapitate the duck at the Chinese restaurant? It wasn't the graphic that we were going for, but the duck curve, especially in, in California and regions like Hawaii, where there's a lot of uh, saturation of renewables or PV, the production of PV during peak hours, let's call it between 10 and 2, are so high that it actually dips down into conventional power plants like baseload and whatnot and create a lot of problem. And what's coming back is that the utilities are coming back and saying, we were expecting this. You guys have done nothing about it. The PV generation is even considered a nuisance to the grid. And so we're the first to be curtailed. And that doesn't make any sense. The utility comes back and says, hey, you're doing too much PV on the grid right now. We don't need it. So can you please shut off your plants? How does that make any sense? Clean, kind of renewable. Like, right. Is that kind of like negative electricity prices? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there are entities that are actually going to charge the facility for sending power out. 
or they just ask you to turn off. Correct. Which and is so, wait, yeah. Yeah, and the the plant owners who have their PPAs set up, they don't participate in making money at that point. And so one of the things that we've really tried to do is to take a step back and acknowledge that, yes, we have had a lot of wins. We talked about that in the beginning about just the, the fundamental economics. But as of this point now, we're trying to say, okay, you know, we've had a lot of conversation with utilities and ISOs and said, what do you guys really need for a real power plant? How do we become the standard and not the alternative resource. And energy storage is really important. We've talked to a lot of customers and said, what are you looking for? And they say, well, let's start with four-hour firm. So how do we go about four-hour firm? You can do... What's four-hour firm? Four-hour firm of generation. So the utilities want something that's really predictable, right? Mm -hmm. And so we'll just pick numbers here. So let's just say your inverter is one megawatt. Mm -hmm. How do you keep one megawatt going on for four hours? And so some of the discussion is, let's put a bunch of PV panels out there. How many PV panels would you need to get four hours of firm in the middle of winter at winter solstice, right? And those numbers are pretty high. It means it's like 1.8 to 2 DC to AC ratio. So that means half of your site is spilling and being wasted during the summertime. And that was one model. Mm -hmm. And then we came back and said, let's model this for long duration energy storage. And so we came back and said that ratio is closer to 1.1 to 1.2. But at the same time, we could participate in, you know, retail markets and stuff like that, because now we've got additional stores in the summertime where you need more power and we can actually shift that to the evenings or the times where are worth more because there's so much saturation of PV production in the middle of the day. So what kind of storage are you using to get those four megawatt hours of storage? So the RFP that we put out called Decapitate the Duck was to look at three different things. First was energy storage, inverters, and software. We ended up buying a software company really focused on machine learning. On the inverter side, we came out with an RFP, and that is a very specific guidance to the inverter companies to say we are looking for fixed DC bus inverters. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then on the storage side, we looked at over 40 different technologies. At our facility in Fremont, we have over 12 different systems tested. We have multiple flow batteries, flywheels. We have a bunch of different lithium ion technologies, and we have very aggressive demand profile that goes from zero to hundred percent, zero, 50%, zero, 25% back to zero. And we don't actually accelerate anything, but we don't have any rest periods. So we can get about six and a half of those cycles in one day. And so what turned out to be the best product for us was a vanadium redox flow battery. And we've cycled the unit for over 22 equivalent S-chip years, and we still can't measure any degradation on it. And the demand cycle that I just mentioned to you, if we did zero to 100, even in a day, you would have a very different cell phone at the end of the year, and, and you just want to throw it in the trash. i right? got to get a new cell phone every you know four or five years anyway, but still. Yeah. You know, so Now, what would the equivalent be for lithium-ion batteries? I mean... You could accomplish that same four megawatt hours, but how much more money would it be or how much shorter would those batteries last? What's actually developed from that is a capacity maintenance agreement. And it's actually a financial tool to mask the degradation of the batteries. And the issue there is that now people are coming and saying, okay, I'm willing to augment and replace the lithium ion as it starts to degrade. And then they start future pricing lithium cells, things get really complicated, or they start building systems out, you know, 50% oversized or 100% oversized so that they allow for the degradation. And I've seen a couple different models for this. And I was actually talking to a really intelligent developer and they said, you know, we're not going to go forward on the pricing because no one in this room 
you know, would have ever suggested where PV prices were, you right. know, five years in advance. And how much right? is COBOL going to be next year? Exactly. God knows. Nobody exactly. Knows. And there's a, a lot more of the demand on the automotive side and, and the supply chain. So who's making these vanadium flow batteries and how bankable are they going to be? So we've partnered with Avalon Battery Company. And they have a really powerful lineage. Their technology started off of the Sumitomo work that was done about 25 years ago. And they continue to refine, improve the efficiency. And what's really neat about it is that it is tried and true. It's robust enough that the people who actually supply the vanadium acknowledge that it doesn't degrade. So what's really neat about this is that part of our offering is that we can actually offer a rental program. And so when you first buy the battery or the holistic power plant from us, we can actually take the ITC, but then at the same time, a big chunk of the value of the battery, which is the vanadium, let's call it 30%, is now done in a rental program. And to be very specific, rental is different from lease because at the end of a term on a lease, you have to true everything up. On the rental program, you could literally say, okay, I signed this day, I'm going to put the vanadium into my battery, and at the end of 30 years, they can extract the vanadium and the electrolyte use it again. Use it again across the street in another battery, and yeah. so it, it doesn't degrade. So, what's the potential for these flow batteries in smaller systems? I mean, we're still sediment energy. We're still doing residential. We're doing more commercial, and it's all lithium ion. Is there, you know, any potential in a few years for us to have a small vanadium flow system for perhaps commercial? That's our desire. I mean, if we can scale this on the utility level, then we could have a smaller unit that let's just call it a 10 kilowatt hour system that looks like a water heater that's inside your garage and it's much safer than lithium ion you don't have to worry about any thermal runaway conditions i mentioned that we purchased a machine learning company and it was really interesting because when we were evaluating the different technologies they had said that it was north almost 3,000 lines of code to manage the lithium ion because you have to consider the voltage range, thermal requirements and stuff like that, really had to keep the battery safe. And it was less than 300 lines of code to manage the vanadium battery. So that was a real kind of eye-opener. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that. It's going to take time. I mean, the the lithium-ion batteries that we're installing for our customers, they've been working great for two years. It works. I've got it on my house. We're looking forward to some commercial installations. But, you know, they're still expensive. Mm -hmm. And there's more kind of combustible energy capacity in those batteries and there is in a vanadium flow solution. What is actually in that vanadium flow solution? What else is there besides vanadium and water? A lead acid battery is 60% water, 20% sulfuric acid, and 20% lead. Mm -hmm. A vanadium redox battery is 60% water, 20% sulfuric acid, and 20% vanadium. So it's actually safer than a lead acid battery. Okay. All right. Well, let's change gears a little bit. What's a nice guy like you doing in the solar industry? How did you get here? How did you get to Next Tracker? Thanks for teeing that up. I know you know the answer to that, but I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I probably spent more time in the club activities. I joined the Solar Car Club. We built a car to race from Washington, D.C. to Orlando, Florida, and it just really struck something with me. I was like, how is it that you know college students could build this car and run off the sun, and we're looking at a gas pump? where somebody had to extract the oil from the ground that had been there for hundreds of thousands of years, refine it, protect it in many circumstances under military presence, and process it, get into the car, we burn it, and it is actually unhealthy for us. And we've got this car that's driving from Washington, D.C. to Atlanta, Florida. And so the first thing I did after college was I actually went through the California Energy Commission list. And I was going down the list of installers thinking that to go for my job. And at the top of the list was Akina Solar. 
And I remember seeing that. Because we started with an A, that was deliberate. That's exactly what it was. And so I saw Akina Solar at the top of the list. I made a phone call, and I noticed that the next thing was CEO Barry Cinnamon. I don't think I've ever told you this story before, but I called in, and you picked up the phone and said, Barry Cinnamon. And I was like, oh, and I just hung up on you. (laughs) I I got the CEO on the line. I'm like, what's going on, right? So it was actually really interesting because I went down the list. I kept calling, but I came back to Akina, called again. And you said, yeah, come on by. It's the door above the garage. (laughs) And I think that's where it all started. Yeah, no, we had a really good group of people there. And, you know, it's just very gratifying to see how the company grew. And it's super gratifying to see how well so many of our graduates are doing. Some of whom are still back kind of with us right now. Absolutely. Which is kind of cool. So you got solar in your blood. You probably have electrons running through there instead of hemoglobin. What do you do for fun now? I was actually making this joke that, you know, I have three kids now, married, right? So a lot of focus is on the family, but cars. Do you still have that old BMW 2002? I do, I do. Do the brakes work now? The brakes work now. (laughs) It's a much different (laughs) car than I think when you saw it. But Well, uh, I remember it going off the track at Laguna Seca when the brakes stopped working. Well, I'm I'm blaming that because the passenger was 220 pounds. Yeah, Ralph was a good co-driver. Yeah, but one of the projects that I'm working on right now that is, is actually really interesting, I have a 19. 64 Lincoln Continental, and the drivetrain was pulled out of it. It has two AC motors in it that wired in such a way where it's equivalent to actually 500 foot pounds of torque. And it's got a 60 kilowatt hour battery, a lithium system in it. And I want this car to be at every elementary school, high school, and, you know, be shown and for kids to walk up and say, this is way cooler than something that burns fossil fuels. And this is why I got into the renewable space. Well, that's a tank. It's probably weighs the same amount without the engine with the batteries, though. It is almost exactly the same, yeah. Wow, cool. What color is it? It's a matte black. How's the battery? Red interior. How's the body? Is it in good shape? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's really pretty. All right. I'll have to take a look at it. Well, that sounds cool. It's great to have you here. How can people get in touch with you at Next Tracker? we got a great website, nexttracker.com, N-E-X-T. R-A-C-K-E-R shows a lot of the work that we're doing, a bunch of news on the organization, and a lot of the new programs that we're also pushing out. All right, terrific. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Alex, for joining us, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 